Chapter 9 of Ruth Fielding at Briarwood Hall. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Karina in New England. Ruth Fielding at Briarwood Hall or Solving the Campus Mystery by Alice B. Emerson. Chapter 9 The Ghostly Tribunal. Aren't they just fun? Isn't it just fun? These were the enthusiastic questions that Helen Cameron hurled at Ruth when they returned to their own room. The girl from the Red Mill was glad that their school life had opened so pleasantly, but she was by no means blinded, as Helen seemed to be, to the faults of their neighbors in the room they had just left. They have been very friendly, and we have no complaint to make, that is sure, Helen, she said. How exasperating you are at times, exclaimed her chum. Just the same. I'm glad we didn't go with those pokey, fussy curls to their meeting. Ruth made no reply to this. The bell in the tower had told nine, and they knew that there were twenty minutes only in which to get ready for retiring. Those girls who had lights after twenty minutes past nine were likely to be questioned, and any who burned a lamp after half after nine would find a demerit against their names in the morning. The chums hurried then to get ready for sleep. Don't you hope we'll dream something very nice, whispered Helen as she plunged into bed first. I hope we will, returned Ruth, waiting to see her comfortable before she turned out the light and bent over her chum to kiss her. Good night, Helen. I hope we'll be just as good friends here, dear, as we have been since we met. Of course we will, Ruthie, declared Helen quite as warmly. We will let nobody or nothing come between us said Ruth a little wistfully in the dark. Of course not, declared Helen with emphasis. Then Ruth crept into her own bed and lay looking at the wider patch of the nearest window long after Helen's gentle, regular breathing announced her chum asleep. There were few other sounds about the dormitory. A door shut softly in the distance. Somewhere a dog barked once. Ruth was not sleepy at all. The day's doings passed in a not unpleasant procession through her mind. It seemed a week, yes, a month, since she had left the Red Mill that morning. She again went over the pleasant road with the Camerons and Mrs. Murchiston to Cheslow. She remembered their conversation with good Dr. Davison and wondered if, by any possibility, the time would come when poor Mercy Curtis could go to school, perhaps come to this very Briarwood Hall. The long ride on the train to Lake Osago was likewise repeated in Ruth's mind. Then the trip by boat to Portageton. She could not fail to recount the mysterious behavior of the big man who played the harp in the boat orchestra and Mademoiselle Picolet. And while these thoughts were following in slow procession through her mind, she suddenly became aware of a sound without. The nearest window was open. The lower sash raised to its full height. It was a warm and windless night. The sound repeated. Ruth raised her head from the pillow. There was a faint scratching at the door or at the window. She could not tell. Ruth lay down again. Then she sat upright in her bed as the sound continued. Every other noise about the house now seemed stilled. The dog did not bark. There was no rustle in the trees that shaded the campus. Where was that sound? At the door? Ruth was not afraid, only curious. If somebody was trying to attract her attention, if somebody wished to communicate with her, to get into the room, she hopped out of bed. Helen still slept as calmly as though she were in her own bed at home. Ruth went softly to the door. She had latched it when they came in. 
Now she pushed the bolt back softly. Was there a rustle and a soft whisper behind the panels? Suddenly, as the fastening was removed, the door was pushed inward. Ruth stepped back. Had she been of a very nervous disposition, she would have cried aloud in fright, for two figures, all in white, stood at the door. Hush, commanded the taller of the two shrouded figures. Not a word. Thus commanded and half-frightened, as well as wholly amazed, Ruth remained passive. The two white figures entered. Two more followed. Two more followed in turn, until there were eight couples, girls and all shrouded in sheets, with pillowcase hoods over their heads, in which were cut small eyes within the duet room. Somebody closed the door. Somebody else motioned Ruth to awake Helen. Ruth hesitated. She at once supposed that some of their schoolfellows meant to haze them, but she did not know how her chum would take such a startling awakening from a sound sleep. She knew that, had she been asleep herself and opened her eyes to see these shrouded figures gathered about her bed, she would have been frightened beyond expression. Don't let her see you first, gasped Ruth affrightedly. Instantly, two of the girls seized her. As she involuntarily opened her lips to scream, one thrust a ball of clean rags into her mouth, thrusting it in so far that it effectually gagged her, nor could she expel the ball from her mouth. It was not a cruel act, but it was awfully uncomfortable. And being held firmly by her two assailants, Ruth could do nothing, either in her own behalf or for Helen. But she was determined not to cry. These big girls called them infants, and Ruth Fielding determined not to deserve the name. She had no idea that the hazing party would really hurt them. They would have for their principal object the frightening of the newcomers to Briarwood Hall, and secondarily, they would try to make Ruth and Helen appear just as ridiculous as possible. Ruth was sorry in a moment that she had breathed a syllable aloud, for she was not allowed to awake Helen. Instead, a girl went to either side of the bed and leaned over Ruth's sleeping chum. The tall, peaked caps made of the pillowcases looked awful enough, and Ruth was in a really unhappy state of mind. All for Helen's sake, too. She had opened the door to these thoughtless girls. If she only had not done it. Suddenly, Helen started upright in bed. Her black eyes glared for a moment as she beheld the row of sheeted figures, but her lips only opened to admit a single, Oh! Silence! commanded one of the figures leaning over the bed, and Ruth, whose ears were sharpened now, believed she recognized Mary Cox's voice. She immediately decided that these girls who had come to haze them were the very juniors who had been so nice to them that evening, the Fox and her fellow members of the Upedes. But Ruth was more interested just then in the manner in which Helen was going to take her sudden awakening. Fortunately, her chum seemed quite prepared for the visitation, after her first involuntary cry, she remained silent, and she even smiled across the footboard at Ruth, who, gagged and held captive, was certainly in no pleasant situation. The thought flashed into Ruth's mind. Did Helen have reason for expecting this visit and not warn me? Up, commanded the previous speaker among the white-robed company. Your doom awaits you. Helen put her bare feet out of bed, but was allowed to put her slippers on. The chums were in their night apparel only. Fortunately, the air breathed in at the open window was warm, so there was no danger of getting cold. The two girls were placed side by side. Helen was not gagged as Ruth was, but of course she had uttered only that single startled cry when she awoke. 
There was a great solemnity among the shrouded figures as the chums stood in their midst. The girl who had previously spoken, and whom Ruth was quite positive was Mary Cox, for she seemed to be the leader and prime mover in this event, swept everything off the table and mounted upon it where she sat cross-legged like a tailor or a Turk. "'Bring the culprits before the throne!' she commanded in a sepulchral voice. Helen actually giggled, but Ruth did not feel much like laughing. The ball of rags in her mouth had begun to hurt, and she was held tightly by her two guards so that she could not have an instant's freedom. She was not, in addition, quite sure that these girls would not attempt to haze their prisoners in some unbecoming or dangerous way. Therefore, she was not undisturbed in her mind as she stood in the midst of the shrouded company of her schoolfellows. End of chapter 9